message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. We're going to look at an application of our Joseph series. I, I realize we finished with Genesis 50 last week and we kind of ended with this verse. Uh, we were racing toward it the whole time. How Joseph was able to see with all conviction of his heart that even though his brothers and other things had meant evil against him, that God had used that for good. And guys, that's really easy when you can see kind of the rest of the story that's behind you. But it's really hard sometimes when you're in the midst of the pit that he was in or the prison that he was in. Until you get to that palace, it's kind of hard to really see that truth. And yet that truth has such an application for you and I today, especially dealing with God's sovereignty and his call upon our lives. Uh, How many of you have ever heard of, maybe even played before, uh, it's a party game, it's kind of a parlor game, Six Degrees of Separation. Have you even heard of that before? Uh, It it kind of gained a little bit of, uh, um, the basic theory comes from 1929. There was a short story that was written and said that everybody in the world is connected to everybody else in the world through six relationships, that you can really trace everybody. And uh, back when I was in school, and this became a little bit popular, uh, it all revolved around Kevin Bacon. Does anybody remember Kevin Bacon? And they said that everybody in Hollywood was really less than six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. And what they would say, okay, this person was a star in that show and Kevin Bacon was in that. And so this one, you know, and they could trace, they literally could trace everybody in Hollywood back to Kevin Kevin Bacon. Well, scientists were kind of intrigued by this. But is that really a theory? Was it just a part of a short story? And so there were some psychologists, there were some scientists that said, okay, can we really, is there really just six degrees of separation between any one person and anybody else in the entire world. And they began to study it. And there was actual studies done in the 50s and the 60s that said, yes, they could kind of trace everybody that there was some kind of a connection. And uh, then when the information age came and computers came, um, uh, some of the, the people at Microsoft decided that they wanted to test that. And so they were able to look at that and they found that if they took all the numbers and all the people in the world and all these different things, that sure enough, they called them hops, H-O-P-S, that everybody in the world could be connected in 6.6 hops. Well, not to be outdone, the people at Facebook decided, okay, has that changed over the years? And so uh, all of a sudden in 2008, because this original study was in 2001, and then in 2008 they came back and said, now because of Facebook, and because, you know, the world has become kind of smaller because that, because everybody's connected, it's down to 5.2 hops. They did it again in 2011, and it was 4.74 hops. The last time they did this was in 2016, and they said that now we are 3.5 degrees of separation between us and the other person in the world. In the world, the world is getting smaller. Now, I don't know about that theory. I don't know the the authenticity. It certainly isn't a scientific theory in one way. It just was in a book, in a short story in 1929, and people started to try to test that. Because I don't know about the authenticity of that theory, but I do know this. Guys, we really live, with the sovereign God, we really do live kind of in a small world. In the information age, we really do have the ability to to do missions, you know, that are thousands of miles away through connections of, 
of Facebook and, and email and different things like that, we can really see this world in one way shrinking and giving us opportunity for relationships that we never had before. Well, I want to play upon that this morning because I really want to take that kind of original concept that are we really all connected in some way and see what the Bible says about God's call upon you and I to really go out there and be a difference maker in the world that we live. And so um, this morning we begin to, to open our Bibles, and uh, the first passage that we're going to look at is actually in Proverbs. We're going to kind of settle in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But in Proverbs verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Here's basically what that means. You and I, we have our agendas, we have our calendars, we have all these different things. How many of you have, at least have some idea, some idea of what's going to happen between now and next Sunday? As far as there are certain things on your calendar and agenda. Uh, how many of you work, for example, okay? And you, go, you mean to go to work. How many of you, you may have ball games, you might have tournaments, you may have all these kind of things. And so you have piano practice, all kinds of different things. You have them down on the schedule, and it's as many are the plans that man has. But it's God's purposes that are going to prevail. In other words, every once in a while, God's just going to kind of trump that purpose that we had. Have you ever had your day interrupted? You know, you had down 3 o'clock doctor's appointment or whatever it was. And then, you know, a flat tire, this, that, and the other. Something that was, you know, just an oddity. Or maybe it was something else that completely changed your day. And you're going, okay, this is what I had planned. And this is the eventuality of what happened. Well, this morning I want you to know that sometimes that is just the world being imperfect and that we live in a world that is kind of falling apart and we're vulnerable to, you know, game changers and day changers. But some of that might actually be a sovereign God who'd purposed something in our lives that we never saw coming. Have you ever experienced that before? I mean, your day was planned out. Or you met somebody at... 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you had not even planned to be at that restaurant or at that place or whatever it was, and all of a sudden, you're kind of face-to-face with this other person, and you're having interaction with that person, maybe even ministry with that person, and yet it certainly wasn't on your day planner. I call those divine appointments. Uh, That's not a biblical word. You're not going to find the word divine appointment in the Bible, okay? But you're going to see example after example after example of that. Remember last week we took this rope and, and we said that our life sometimes is like this rope that is just kind of all twisty and turning and all over the place? Well, it's kind of an amazing thing. Can, can I get you to help me just a little bit? Kind of hold on to it. You can just sit right there and hold on to it. And I'm going to come over here. and yeah. Do you know that gentleman over there? You don't, but you're connected to him now, okay? So we're just going to kind of keep on doing that and we're going to come back to you and we're going to give you a little piece of the rope here. Okay, and I'm going to, I should have gotten shorter rope. Okay, there you go. And I'm going to come back here. And Tony, I'm going to get you to, to do this. In fact, I'm just going to put it around you a little bit here, Tony. Okay, yeah, there you go. And then I'm going to go right over here to Daniel. Okay, and that's about as far I'm going to go. Okay, <laughs> I, I think this will be enough to illustrate the point. Now, last week we said... That in our lives, we get this rope, and it's kind of twisting and turning. It's kind of going all over the place. And yet, in God's sovereignty, he saw one plan. He didn't see twists and turns and all these different things. Well, I would challenge you this morning that I could say biblically, there are times when people did not know that they were going to have connection. 
Do you really think that Joseph, as a young boy, thought that there would be a time that he would be thrown into a pit and that those Midianite, that those slave traders would come by? Do you think he really thought that? I mean, God had given him some visions, and yet one day he's thrown in the pit by his brothers, and all of a sudden, here come these slave traders, and they take him out, and, and all of a sudden, he's ending up where? Egypt. He goes to Egypt. Do you think that there was ever a time in Joseph's life that he really said, okay, I'm going to be connected to this guy called Potiphar, and I'm going to work in his house, and I'm going to start down on the lowest level, but I'm going to do such a great job that I'm going to get raise after raise and promotion after promotion, and pretty soon I'm going to be running Potiphar's house. Do you think that really occurred to Joseph? No. I don't think that was in his day planner. I don't think that was in the agenda of his life. Do you think that there was in a time that Miss Potiphar was going to come and kind of make all these forward advances on him, that he had to run out? Do you think that he really thought that he would be the one ended up in jail at that time? Or that in jail that he would come across the king's baker and cupbearer? That all of a sudden he had connections with people that he had never fathomed before. Here's, here's my thing. If we serve a sovereign God who truly is all-powerful, all-knowledge, and he truly does have kind of a step for each one of our lives, I mean, he really is in knowledge of everything that's going to happen in your life. This says many of our plans in the mind of man. We can make all kinds of plans. But God has a superior plan. It's the will of God that is going to stand. In fact, we see in Proverbs 16:9, the heart of man plans his way. We plan our way. But the Lord establishes the steps. We see this theme throughout the Bible. Not just in Proverbs, we see this. And all of a sudden what we find in our lives is that we are connected by, to people that we never thought that we'd be connected with. And I don't know how best to get this string back, but you can just kind of throw it on the floor there if you want to. <laughs> I don't want you to have to endure that string the whole entire time. And thank you. He, this, he's going to do a fine job of just bringing that back. Seth, do you know somebody today that three years ago that you would have had no knowledge that you were going to... And now it's a person who may be of impact in your life. And three years ago, you would have not known known this person as being another person on the face of the earth. And yet, in the last three years, maybe somebody has had impact in your life. And you're going, man, three years ago, I didn't even know this woman, this man, this person. It's amazing. Now, is it because you sought out and you said one morning, you know, I want to find somebody of significance to influence me in my life, to guide me along those times that I get troubled or tried. No, it's because of God's mercy and His grace that He puts people in your lives. I I think one of the most beautiful things, uh, uh, there's a young lady in our church that uh, uh, she announced to our life group the other night that uh, she now has a ring on her finger and, and they're talking about dates and everything. And I was praying for her the other night and I said, you know, isn't it amazing that in Psalms 139, when it talks about how that is the finest job that I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> Thank you so much. That would have never gotten that way if I would have done it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You know, I said, you know, I was reading one, Psalms 139 when it talks about how we are fearfully, wonderfully made and God is knitting us together in our mother's room. And, and I began to pray for it and I said, isn't it cool to think that because we have a sovereign God, that God was knitting together your future husband in your mother's womb. 
as he was knitting together you in your mother's room, and he was putting purposes and things in your lives, talents and strengths and all these different things, so that one day that you would realize that you're going to become husband and wife, that God, who was standing back the whole time, I knew that, that he could see the perfection and the beauty of that. Isn't that amazing, guys? This, this application of the sovereignty of God is not just a theological truth where we sit back and we're going, okay, that means that God is all-knowing, He's all-powerful, just all-everything, and He's just kind of the Lord of all. He is all of that. And it is that theological truth. But the application to me and you is that it does give us comfort on those days when we go, okay, I, I can't even find the door. It gives us hope when all else seems hopeless. And it gives us purpose and a call when sometimes we're struggling, who am I and what am I supposed to do? Many are the plans of man. Well, you and I, we come up with a thousand different things. Well, I'm going to do this. I want to, you know, get rich. I want to retire early. I want to do this. And there's nothing wrong with any of those aspirations that we might have uh, for ourselves. And yet the whole time, I, I promise you, God is saying, but I created you for this purpose. I think sometimes we understand that even more when we come to know Christ later in life. When we're young and we, you know, at Lillian's age, we just we grow up with the gospel around us. We we trust Christ at an early age, and that's so beautiful. And so maybe we never knew some of those wayward, you know, teenage years or those early twenties that some of us experience. Where we're going, okay, you know, I have knowledge of Christ, but I don't really know that I feel a call of Christ. So sometimes it's when we've come to know Christ and trust Christ later in life, I really feel the clarity of that call that we begin to see that, you know, this God, yeah, I had many plans, and yet God had this plan for me. I want you to know this morning that if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian this morning, that God has a plan that's more than just waiting for heaven. Heaven is, is a guarantee, not because of your goodness, but because it's secured because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And yet the call of Christianity is not for us to have holy huddles, to sit around and say, okay, I'm just waiting for heaven now. Now God has a plan for your life. It's one of the most amazing things to me, that God, creator God, this one who truly is over all things and is sovereign over all things, knows you by name, knows the number of hairs on your head, and more than that, has a personal plan for your life. That's amazing. You don't even know a plan for your life. And yet God has this plan. Now, when we begin to see that in Joseph's life, we begin to see all the twists and the turns. We see that Joseph really is resting upon God's leadership, that when he's down there in the prison, he doesn't see it as the end. I mean, you and I, maybe we would have gotten quite discouraged. Hey, God, have you forgotten me here? And God never forgot Joseph. There was a reason that he went from the pit to the prison to the palace. And God knew all along, even though it was over a 30-plus year time. And that rope, Joseph saw like this, weaving into all kinds of different people. And yet God said, no, it's really kind of a straight line. My purpose is being served all this time. Well, what's the application to you and I? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's one of my favorite passages. 
Verse 17, you might be familiar with. If you've been around church a little bit, you may be familiar with this passage in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has become, or the new has come. How many of y'all are somewhat familiar with that? You've heard that before. Yeah, many of us have heard that. Well, it's the beginning of this passage where the Apostle Paul then addresses us, as encouraging as that is, that all of our sins are, are in the past and that God has this new, and it's this whole story about new life in him, what comes right after that is this call upon our lives that God makes very, very personal. Look what it says in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is for every Christian, folks. This is not just for those who go into ministry. This isn't for those who prepare in seminary to go and kind of be this pastor or this minister. He said, okay, if you're new in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, and now he says, now there's a call upon your life. And in one way, this is a very broad call. And this broad call, he says, okay, I'm, giving, I'm calling every one of you into a ministry. If you're a Christian here this morning, please understand that you are called to be a minister. You may not serve on the staff of a church. You may not go and do this or that. You may not go to seminary. But you are called to be a minister. A minister of what? A minister of this message of reconciliation. Now, what is reconciliation? It's to bring peace. Christ reconciled with his death that, that we were really the enemies of God. I know it doesn't sound attractive. God wasn't trying to hurt our feelings, but basically the Bible makes it very clear that we were the enemies of God because of our sin. We were rebelled against him. God didn't make us sin. He, we just sinned. And we inherited that sin from Adam and Eve, and ever since then we've been sinful people. God loved us so much that he provided a way for us to be forgiven of that sin. So that we wouldn't be trapped in that. And then he sends his own son who is perfect in every way. And we, he sent him to a cross and he died. Even though he did nothing deserving of that death. And he rose again on the third day. And now he lives forevermore. He, he, he is our hope. He's the one way that we can have peace. That we can be reconciled to God. Now I don't know that many of us in our lifetime... You know, shook our fist at God and said, You know, God, I am your enemy and I will do it my way. I don't know that many of us really did that. I don't remember doing that in my life. I do remember doing it my way, though. I do remember having very, very selfish, to this day, having very selfish thoughts and, and wanting kind of my way and my style and my things. And, and yet God said, Okay, I'm, I'm going to call you to be a minister. Well, not just because I'm a pastor of a church. He said, because you're a Christian, I'm going to call you to be a minister. A minister of what? This message of hope, this message of the gospel, this message of reconciliation. That anybody, when they turn to Christ, can come and have eternal life. Well, that's the message that you and I have been given to share with everybody that we come in contact with. Even down to the point, look what he said in verse 21. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible, 
a theologian a long time ago called it the great exchange. Okay, we gave God this and, and God gave us this. We made an exchange and look what it says. For our sake he made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, all of our sins were put on to Christ when he died on the cross. His righteousness, that is, his right doings were placed upon us. Here's the miracle of the gospel, guys. We don't see it in its fullness yet, but God does. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, when God looks at you, he looks through the cross, the finished work of Christ. We're we're not trying to minimize that. We're not trying to be silly with that, that God's looking, but he really does. It's not that he's not observant of our sins, it doesn't, but, but he counts that sin not against us. Why? Because it has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. All of our sins placed on Christ. But get this, it doesn't stop there. All of his righteousness placed on us. It's an amazing thing. That in, that's why the Bibles uh, in the New Testament, you see this phrase over and over and over and over and over again. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's our identity. As a Christian, you are in Christ because you're in his finished work. Well, what does this have to do with this calling? What does this have to do? Well, look at verse 20. Paul says, therefore. And therefore is this concluding statement. It's a statement of conclusion. He's just said that, that we can have new life in Christ that he has called us to be ministers, that that we're to preach this message of reconciliation. Then he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador is somebody who's representing. We have ambassadors all over this world. Other countries have ambassadors here, and they represent their country. As we would have an ambassador to Japan, they would represent the United States in Japan. God says, as Christians, you represent me in this world. He said, you're representing me. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's our job. That's our calling, guys. And in one way, that seems very, very broad that every one of us are called to make this message known. But it gets very specific when we think about the rope of our life. Because you're working beside people. You're going to school beside people that I may never, ever see. God has called into your family, at your family reunion, you're extended this, that, and the other, people that I will never cross paths with. In one way, this is a very broad call. In another way, it is a very specific call to each one of us as individuals. That God would call for you and I to have divine appointments. That, that, that he would bring people in our lives that we have an opportunity to share God's love and the hope of the gospel with. Lynn, I see you back there and, and you work at Publix. And there's going to be people that come into Publix that, uh, that you're going to have opportunity. Maybe one day a, a woman comes in and you can just tell that she's been weeping or something. And you're up there and you're, you're such a caring person. And you go, I, I can see you. I, I could see you saying, hey, is everything okay? Divine appointment, perhaps. In schools, we have a lot of school teachers here. And I say this with all seriousness. Do you think the county just appointed those people to your class? Or could a sovereign God really say, no, I want Billy and, and, and Sally and 
this one and that one in your room because you are to share the love and the light and the hope of Christ with them. And I realize that in our school systems that we have restrictions of what we can and cannot say. But do you get what I'm saying? That that influence, because guys, if, if the light of Christ is in you, I don't care. You don't have to use words sometimes. And kids will know. She gives hard tests, but she must have something special because you can just tell she loves God or that God loves her. The place where you work right now, do you really think that many are the plans of man? You might say, well, this was my career path, and I chose this. And by the time I was this age, I wanted to own my own company, and I wanted to do this, and I wanted to do that. And, and you could have had some of those plans, and yet God can say, but here's what I want to use those plans for. Guys, this whole idea of a sovereign God, of a personal sovereign God, has applications into our everyday life that there really isn't anything in our life that is just under, not under his, his thoughtfulness, his purposes. It's an amazing verse that God would call you and I to go out there and share this hope. So let me collect, connect these two thoughts, and I want to end with a story this morning, a true story. Number one, God has called us to be messengers this role of messengers and ambassadors for Christ. The second part of that is that God is always working his purposes. He's always working for his glory and for his good. So in the purposes of our lives, he's always working his purpose for him to have glory and and for our good. And he's working these things toward this desired end. So as you and I go out to the classroom, to the workroom, to the boardroom, to the house, to the family reunion, wherever it might be, to the ball game, there may be some divine appointments, God bringing people in our path. You coached a lot of fine girls this year. Who knows? In fact, who knows if God, if some of those weren't divine appointments, that, that you know, God just brought families to you. And you probably didn't go out there and, and, you know, quote scriptures left and right and all that, especially if you were arguing with an op at the time or something like that, you know. And yet I pray that they saw the hope of Christ in your family. And I pray that they saw, that you know, that you could show them, man, I mean, my life gets really wrangled up sometimes. It gets all twisted and turned, but here's the hope that I have. I have a good friend. His name is Chip Smith. He is, uh, for some of y'all, you went with us about a month ago over to his facility. He's a world-class trainer. He uh, trains... Uh, all kinds of athletes. Uh, his mainstay is the NFL. He's put over 1,600 players in the NFL. Uh, really good players, ones that have made the Hall of Fame. They're very, very accomplished. He's done that in a lot of different sports. Uh, I think he has helped train uh, over 20 gold medalist winners in all kinds of different sports. Uh, one of the last ones that he was telling us about when we went over there that night was a ballerina. She is the number one prima ballerina in the entire world. She's from Russia. And she came and studied with him for about six to eight weeks and, and kind of worked on some things. So this guy is, you know, he kind of rubs shoulders with people that you and I would, would know and see on TV. He, he was out, this is a little over a month ago, and he was out and, uh, as he went in to, for lunch one day at Olive Garden there. He uh, decided that uh, 
uh, or a man came up to him and asked him to, for some money. And he says, you know, I don't have any right now. I'll, I'll catch you when I come out. He went in. He began to have his lunch. As he was sitting there, he said that the Holy Spirit just really convicted him. Just really said, no, you go get that guy. So he went back outside. The guy was still there. The, the, the guy's name is Travis. And uh, he said, Travis, you, you have lunch? Travis goes, Inside? And he said, yeah, come on. And so he went in there and he said, I, I ordered more food than any human could possibly eat. And uh, he began to tell me some of his story. And here's, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but here's some of the story of uh, what happened afterwards. I asked him to share a story and he started out by telling me that he grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and he loved sports as a kid. He really liked former Heisman Trophy winner George Rogers from the University of South Carolina, who just happened to have played at his high school um, in the county that we were having lunch with. He was very articulate, had a beautiful smile. He uh, had served in the Coast Guard and was an artist. As he continued to share his story with me, I realized how much humans need each other. We all have the same wants, the desires, and needs. After about an hour, I encouraged him to eat some of the mountains of food that we had ordered. He continued to share his story. After about an hour and a half, I needed to go. I reached in my pocket and pulled out all the cash that I had. I handed it to him, and he hugged me in the lobby, and the hostess had tears in her eyes. And as I walked off, I, I said to him, you've made my day. And he said, well, you've made my day. And he asked if we can have a photo together. And I said, I'd be honored. My new friend's name is Travis, and I would appreciate your prayers and suggestions of how I can help him. He posted this on Facebook just so that we could pray. And then the next day, he wrote this. He said, after tossing and turning in bed on Friday night, thinking about my homeless friend Travis, I got up early on Saturday morning and started driving around the area looking for him. I had so many questions that I needed to ask him. I wanted to know more than anything. I wanted him to know more than anything that I was concerned about his well-being. I wanted him to know that God had put me in a situation with him for the absolute reason, and I needed to tell him my story as well. When he had lunch with me, I didn't share much about anything except that I was a coach. Finally, after riding around for a few hours and asking locals if they knew him or where he stayed, a couple of KFC workers told me that they thought that he would like to sit on the, dark, on, on the uh, far side of the dentist's office away from the hot sun. Well, after another hour, I found him. He was glad to see me. And he thanked me numerous times again for lunch. We can go to the next slide. Three now. Remember, I had not told him anything about me, and when he came into my facility, he was like a little kid. I took him on a tour and shared with him photos and jerseys and other sports memorabilia of all the professional and Olympic athletes that I had trained over the years, and he was thrilled beyond belief. Within a couple of hours after posting on my Facebook page last week, our, our story began, uh, was seen and began to be shared by over 150,000 people, and they began to pray for him. And many of you reached out to me for advice about maybe since he was in the Coast Guard, you know, could he go to the VA? Could he get shelters and counseling and all these different things? Well, today I found out that he is quite an accomplished artist. Can we go to is that slide four? And, and all these people started pouring in, you know, uh, being a coach, he gets a lot of free things or he gets a lot of people that he works with. And so they begin to send in everything from Gatorade to this, that, and the other, shoes, you know, all kinds of equipment, clothes, and all of this. And so Chip thought, okay, this is going in a good direction. He conferred with an attorney, making sure that everything was, you know, that, that he was just doing things right. And he began to uh, house him and uh, try to uh, 
take care of him as best as he could. But with the purpose of this the entire time, that uh, not just helping somebody who was having a, a difficult time, but really showing him the hope of Christ and uh, to establish his life. Chip told me, he, he said, Bobby, I really didn't think that he was this accomplished artist that he claimed to be. But he began to do a little bit of research. And he found out that Travis actually has paintings all over the United States. That before he became homeless, that he was quite accomplished in a lot of different things. He'd come in one day and he said, he, he saw, how many of y'all know Brian Erlacher, Chicago Bears? Okay, most recent Hall of Fame. And uh, was an inductee. And he saw a picture of, of Brian Erlacher. And he said, would you mind if I painted that picture? And again, Chip said, you know, I still had a lot of questions. It was going to be like my pictures, you know, a head and stick figures and that with the football stuck on, you know. Can we go to the next slide? They went to, uh, go back one. Uh, one right before that, Mike. Uh, they went to Hobby Lobby. Uh, he said people just started helping. He explained that he wanted to get some painting supplies. He says, I don't know anything about painting whatsoever. The girl at Hobby Lobby said, I can help you with that. She started getting supplies. She went and she started marking everything down to clearance prices and just with a big smile on her face said, you know, God bless you. And he said, it's just one of those things where you're almost in disbelief. And so they took it all back and they put it in his office. And uh, go ahead to that next slide and he took this picture, this picture is about this big of Brian Erlocker. And he began to draw and he began to paint. Go on to the next one. And he ended up, I mean, is that not an amazing painter? He called up Brian Erlocker, who's one of his good, good friends. And he said, you, you won't believe. I, I met this guy a couple of weeks ago and he really is an artist. And he just painted this picture of you. He said, would, would you sign in this? So he sent it off and... Brian Erlocker and his wife said, you know, can we make, uh, I guess, prints of this? And can we auction these off? And can we establish, you know, the Travis Fund? I don't think it's officially called the Travis Fund, but something like that. And so they began to do that. And he personally signed about 40 of those. Those have now all been bought. It's all been established to to help Travis. Uh, he, He went on. What's the next slide there? Uh, that's when Brian Erlocker just a couple of months ago was being inducted to the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, Travis took a picture that was similar to this. In the next slide. Oh, that's actually Brian Erlocker there after he signed his print. Go into the next one. It's another one that he had made of Brian Erlocker from another photo. I think it's the next one now. <laughs> and he took that picture over there and he began to, to paint. And this, he was almost done with it there. Divine appointments. He's just going into the same place that he eats lunch just about all the time. There's a man that approached him. He didn't approach the man. And, hey, can, can you have a little bit of change that you can spare? God convicted him. Hey, invite him in. Find out what his story is. Find out about his life. He begins to find that there is this diamond down there. there. That because of some hard circumstances and a lot of just frustrating things in life, all kinds of circles and all kinds of twists and a whole bunch of binding, that this guy was now homeless and had really kind of, he lost touch with uh, three daughters and his family and all these different things. He had all the time, guys. You meant evil against me, but I'm going to work this for good. 
This is the hope that we have. This is the application of, of God's sovereignty into our lives is, is that God is always working, guys. He's always working. Who is it, John Piper, that once said, God is always doing tens of thousands of things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. Isn't that true? <laughs> that he's always working tens of thousands of things in your life and you and I may be aware of three of them. And yet God is faithful and he's working. Divine appointments. This week as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go into the different places, until you go into your neighborhood. I mean, is it perhaps that God had put that neighbor right beside you so that you could share the hope of the gospel? He said, well, Bobby, I think they're already Christian. No, even Christians need the hope of the gospel. God has purposed our lives to be ministers, messengers of this gospel of reconciliation, the hope that God truly has remedied our fatal condition, that he has sent his own son to that fatality, that he rose again so that you and I could go out. Hey, not only can we live forevermore, but we can live with the hope that God is always working thanks for his glory and for his good. I pray that this week that you and I would be able to go out and that this would, the whole purpose is, is to make us sensitive to the divine appointments that may be in your classroom, your business place, your family, your neighborhood this week, that as we go about, that we would see that this sovereign God may have placed a patient right there in our hands, a a, a person who came in for this, and yet we have the the chance to give them the hope of the gospel. Guys, I'm not saying that that means that we need to be ready to give them verse after verse after them, that we take the biggest Bible that we know and we hit them over the head with all these. No, the love of Christ. The love of Christ. Sometimes it's a meal at Olive Garden. Sometimes it's just, hey, let me get you some painting supplies. You say you're a painter, I'll get you some painting supplies. Because who knows, who knows what we will find on the other end of that divine appointment. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, it's amazing how Joseph could have never conceived in his wildest of dreams, that you would take him from a pit to a place of prominence in Potiphar's house. Brother, he could never have conceived either that you would take him from that place of prominence to a prison cell where he would meet two people that would forget him as soon as they were out. Father, even though you gave Joseph a dream about how one day his brothers and his father would bow down to him. Father, never could he have conceived that he would be second in authority of all of Egypt and that he, Father, would would be the one that would mastermind a plan to make it through seven years of severe famine. Many are the plans of man, but it is your ways, Father, that prevail. Father, little did Chip Smith know that when Travis asked him that one day, hey, do you have a couple of dollars to spare? That their lives would now be forever intertwined. That people now from literally all over the world have now poured into Travis's life. And so, Father, would you make us sensitive to the times that you bring Travis's to, to our lives? Father, that we would see that role as a, as a teacher that Father, that's not just what the county assigned these students to us, but that we would feel like you truly, as a sovereign God, that you have placed those students 
and our well-keeping for a purpose. That if we're an owner of a, a, a shop or we're a manager out there, that, that you've placed those people in our care so that we truly could be ministers of this message of reconciliation and hope. That perhaps you've even placed us as neighbors with somebody that just needs to know that encouragement and that hope of the gospel. Father, thank you that even when we were not mindful, that you have always been mindful of your glory and our good. So this week, Father, send us out. Send some Travis's our way. And give us the courage and the faith and the love to respond, to see the great things you can do. We love you and we thank you, Father, as we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.